Jesus. Lord, give us a real revelation of your holiness, Lord. Come on, just pray that. Lord, give me a revelation of your holiness. I don't want to sing it. I don't want to just say it, Lord. I want to know it. I want to experience it. Like Isaiah. When Isaiah had a revelation of the holiness of God, he had a revelation of his filthiness as well. And there was a release of the spirit of conviction that came upon him. And I tell you what, I love the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that we're seeing in our generation. And I want to see more of that. But one thing I cry out for as well, that I feel like we've lost in the church, is the return of the fear of the Lord that brings the conviction of the Spirit like we read about in revivals of old. And it's the holiness of God that brings that revelation. Father, would you open our eyes to that in this generation, Lord? We don't, want to lose, we don't want to lose the fear of the Lord. We don't want to lose a revelation of your holiness. Lord, in the midst of all the junk that's around in the culture, raise up a holy generation that will live like the angels that live around your throne, crying to you, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Father, let our lives cry out your holiness. Let our lives cry out your holiness, Lord. Jesus. And the Lord is releasing conviction in this place. You know, the Lord is calling us to come into alignment with Him. There are many things that we're involved in that dull our hearts and dull our sensitivity to Him and what He wants to do through us. And as we come into the presence of God, it's like coming under a light. There's some things you will not see that's dirt on you until the light is brighter. And when you step into the reality of the holiness and the presence of God, it begins to highlight things in your life that need to come into realignment. And I believe the Lord is doing that right now. And as it's highlighting things in your life that need to come into realignment, you, in the, wherever you stood right now, don't wait for someone to call out anything. Just begin to get your heart right with God. Say, Father, I bring my heart into alignment with you. I repent of old ways. Lord, bring a renewing of my mind. I want to have a fresh perspective on life. I want to live my life going after the pleasures of heaven, not the pleasures of this earth. I want to be filled with passion for you, Lord. Let your holiness consume me. Let your holiness consume me. Lord, I pray that for a generation, Lord, that we would be a generation that knows your holiness. The Bible says, as darkness covers the land, as gross darkness covers the land, the glory of God is going to uh, arise upon the people of God. And I'm saying to you here today, as we live in a culture that's dark, as we live in a culture that's saturated by pornography, by filth, by all the trappings and all the guilt and all the shame and all the addictions and all the drug addictions and depression of the world, and it's building up more and more, as that's increasing, the glory of God is going to rise up on His people. His people that know His holiness. It starts right here, people. It starts right here. The Lord is raising up an army. The Lord is raising up an army. It's an army of holiness. 
It's an army of consecration. It's an army of focus. The Lord is raising up an army and it starts right here with you and me. Come into alignment with the holiness of God. I remember uh, reading about Smith Wigglesworth. He went on, he was on a train. He walks into a train and I don't know what he's doing. He's just doing his thing. And people in the train, one by one, start saying to, to him, you, I don't know who you are. You convict me of sin. Imagine if you carry the presence of God so much, you get around people and they feel convicted. But you don't even have to say much. Guys, look, the reason why we cry out for more of God is because we read about things God has done and God is doing and we do not see the fullness of it in our lives. And the reason why we cry out is because we can see that in our day. Along with the miracle signs and wonders, we can see the release of that spirit of conviction. I tell you what, a lot more would happen in, in your schools, a lot more would happen in your workplaces because of the Spirit of God upon you as opposed to your ability to explain truth and try to break down things in a theological way that everyone can understand it. Because it's not about the mind, it's about the Spirit. It's not my mind, it's not my power. It's about the Spirit of God. And what, what we need more of today is not intellect. We have enough intellect. We have enough intellect in the church. Go on the internet. You can find all the theologians you, can, you want to find and listen to all the breaking downs of all the theology you want to find in the Bible and believe whatever you want to believe. But not many people are manifesting the fullness of the power. And I'm not against theology. I think we need to be grounded in theology. But theology without experience is just a lot of religious stuff. And God is calling us to experience the reality of the things we believe. We've got to move from believing to actually living in it. And this is that day, people. And it's a cry. It starts with a cry. And guys, that's what this is about. That's what we're hungry for. If you'd like to just grab a seat where you are. Thank you all so much for making the time to join us today. Really appreciate so many of you coming from all over. Um, I was talking to a lady at the back uh, from Huddersfield. The people here from uh, Peterborough. The people here from Bradford. You know, <laughs> it's amazing to see. You know, and I believe these are the days where God is, uh, is, is almost gathering. You know, it says in Joel to gather the people. Call a solemn assembly. And these are those days where God is going to do that. You know, Joel 228 is one of the scriptures that this movement is based on. It says, in the, in the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And if you read that verse carefully, there is a strong emphasis on the youth. There's a strong young men and daughters. Uh, it says your sons and your daughters. And it says your young men. And there's a real emphasis, I believe, uh, of heaven on this generation that's going to precede the coming of the Lord. Because I believe there's a generation that's going to precede the second coming of Jesus. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know we're closer than we've ever been. And this, it might as well be this generation. We might, we might as well live as though we are in that generation. Because John the Baptist prepared the way for the first coming of Jesus. And he lived his lifestyle in such a way that he, he was a conviction to those who lived in compromise. God raised up John the Baptist as a Nazarite, a consecrated one, a set-apart one. That's what that means. And his lifestyle, when he walked in Israel, and 
It was a living example of the fact that the people of God had, were living in a backsliding state. And when a nation is in a backsliding state, God, you, God raises up Nazarites like you. And he always starts at this age, at this young age. God begins to speak to you. You know, you don't need to wait till you're in your 30s or 40s to give God everything. I believe this is the time to begin to be focused like never before. I say to people, I don't believe my kids have to rebel as every other teenager does. You know, I believe my kids are going to serve God from the day they're born till the day they die. Because I'll live that example. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I'm saying, do not waste your life. Do not waste your life on Facebook, on Twitter, on, on YouTube. None of that's bad. But there's a lot more that heaven has for you. And there's a lot more heaven wants to release through you. Evan Roberts was 13 years old. He was 13 years old when someone said to him in his church, do not miss a prayer meeting because that could be the prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit pours out and you'll be, you'll be missing out. So he decides to give himself to prayer for 13 years. He goes to prayer meetings. While his friends were playing, he was praying. And he gave himself in a secret place. And no one knew his name, and it wasn't like he was praying for anyone to know his name. But 13 years later, the Lord said, I'm going to make you a voice in the nation. And because he had a secret history with God, God poured out through him an outpouring of the Spirit that touched not just this nation, but the nations of the world, touched America. And in turn, it sparked up what we know as the, the Pentecostal, the charismatic, the move of God that we experience today. A lot of it can be traced back to 1904 Welsh Revival, all because of a 13-year-old guy that said, I'm not going to be normal. I'm not going to be like those around me. I'm going to seek God when my friends are doing whatever they want to do. And this is the time to set your face straight. Today, I want to speak about Samson. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to Georgie, uh, Georges 13, verse 25. Georges uh, 13, verse 25. And if you were listening to what I was saying earlier on, I was mentioning the word Nazarite. In number six, the Bible talks about Nazareth. Nazareth are a group of people who live a life consecrated unto God. Consecration means they set themselves apart unto God. They set themselves apart from so many things of the world. You know, and they, they grow their hair and there's certain vows they take. There's certain things they do not do. And they're great examples of Nazarites in Scripture. And it's always amazing that Nazarites have always been key in turning a nation around. And Nazarites are actually pictures of revivalists in the Old Testament. And when you look at a Nazarite, you can see that that's, when we talk about a revivalist today, you look in the Bible, a Nazarite really is a revivalist that God is raising up to shift the nation. A good example of a Nazarite is Samuel. Samuel was a Nazarite to the nation of Israel, and he shifted the nation, and we, through Samuel, we understand the power of anointed prophecy. Because by him dedicating his life to God as a Nazarite, the Lord released prophetic words from him, and the Bible says of Samuel that none of his words fell to the ground. God let none of the words he spoke out of his mouth fall to the ground. That's powerful. Through Samson, we see the release of this, uh, uh, the, the, the heart of the Nazarite. He was a Nazarite to God, but we see a different manifestation of a life. And this life is incredible power. Because Samson was dedicated as a baby to be a Nazarite, the Lord released himself through Samuel by revealing his incredible power through, uh, uh, through Samson. I mean, not Samuel, through Samson. And then through John the Baptist, who was a Nazarite, we see the release of anointed, powerful preaching. So three things here. We see anointed prophecy, incredible power, and anointed preaching. And I believe that's the picture of what God's going to do in these last days. 
It's going to release anointed prophecy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's going to release incredible power. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it's going to release, what's the third one? It's going to release incredible ability to preach the gospel with power and the spirit of conviction falling upon a generation. And these are the days we live in. Now, I talk about John the Baptist a lot because the Lord has marked my heart with this message. Because think about the life of John, the fact that he lived in a culture just like we're living in a culture, but he had to be separate from that culture. He had to live, I mean, how do you justify eating locusts and wild honey? There are no scripture verses to prove it, but he did that out of his radical devotion for God. He was extreme for God. And how come it's okay to be extreme for other things? How come it's okay to be extreme for sports? Why is it okay to be extreme to watch Manchester United or whatever sports team, whatever team you support, win a game and go crazy? And all of a sudden, it becomes weird when you jump around in church. Listen, if you can get excited about football and cannot get excited about the presence of God, there is something wrong. There is something fundamentally wrong. And it ticks me off when I see people in the church and one minute they're talking about football, all excited. The next minute we want to worship and pray and they all just switch off and become like a dead corpse. What's all that about, people? This is the God who saved us and healed us and delivered us. And it's doing a great work in our lives. Those football teams will do nothing for you. And I tell you right now, like Josh said, it's worth giving God everything. He deserves it all. And those Nazarites God raised up, they, they were almost like a picture of full devotion to God. They were caught up with the eternal pleasures of knowing God. Do you know there are pleasures in God that this world has nothing to compare with? Think about the fact that God is the author of pleasure. God lives in the spirit realm. The spirit realm is more superior to this realm because the spirit realm produced this realm. And if God is a God of pleasure, that means in his realm, there are are pleasures that we do not even have ideas or have the ability to fathom because they're so deep. God created sex. God created any kind of pleasure you can think about. But yet in his realm, there are superior pleasures. But if you get caught up in the earthly pleasures and don't realize the superior pleasures you can have, you're going to stun your growth in God and you're not going to keep wanting more of him because there's a lot more that God has for you than you're currently experiencing. There's a lot more God has for us, people. We cannot just come to church and listen to a sermon, you know, and give God two hours a week or however long you have your service in church, you know, and just leave it there. No, God is calling us to raise the game. And the reason why I want to talk about Samuel this morning is because he's a picture, he's an example of how not to live when the call of God is on your life to impact a generation. Samuel was called to change a nation. He did not have accountability in his life. He lived however he wanted to do. He wasn't submitted to authority. And as God begins to anoint you, and there are many of you in this place that are, in fact, you're all anointed of God in different ways. And as you begin to discover your anointing, people try to put you on pedestals. And this is the time where God is saying, it's time for you to make things right before you begin to try to get on a stage. Listen, the pulpit is a shop window to display our talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. And God wants to begin to shape his people in the prayer closet. But from the prayer closet, you begin to hear God's instructions for your life. And I'm telling you right now, this is the time to get things right and aligned. You see, your gift can take you to a place where your your character can keep you. And God right now, with us being young people in this place, God is going to start to surround us with people that can help us and shape us and mold us. But you have to teach. You have to be teachable. You have to be submissive. You have to believe that God is going to work out his purposes in your life as you submit to the people God has placed around you. I believe that is the way the kingdom of God is meant to work. 
We're meant to raise up almost like spiritual sons and daughters. We're meant to see things pass on from generation to generation. Revival is never meant to die. Revival is meant to go from glory to glory, from one generation to the next. The problem is there are not many examples of this. In our day, even in scripture, most times God pours out his spirit upon a generation. And then by the time he gets to the next generation, it's gone down. Because somehow the, the generation that's following have not actually caught the depth of encounter the first generation has. And to have the depth of that encounter, you have to have the hunger for the reality that there are more pleasures in his realm than there are pleasures in this realm. This is the time to step up the game, people. I believe that with all my heart. Now, um... I believe that this whole picture of a Nazarite is very, very key to us. The verse I said you should turn to is Judges 13, verse 25. And I find this very in- intriguing because it says, um, Judges 13, 35 says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him, him being Samson, at the times. Okay, and to be honest, that's all I want to focus on. It goes on a few places. But the point I want to make is, the Spirit of the Lord starts to move upon Samson. Samson has a point of reference where he starts experiencing the power of God come upon him. But the power of God comes upon him because he's a Nazarite who's made a vow. And he's actually said, these are the things I will not do. In Bible, we talk about the anointing is what breaks the yoke. But I believe it's the lifestyle that brings the anointing that breaks the yoke. And God is calling us to a lifestyle, people, that's not a standard of the church. It's not a standard of the world. It's a standard of scripture. It's his standard. I was saying to the team in the back, it's amazing that what we call Christianity today is actually abnormal Christianity. This Christianity right here is normal Christianity. And if we were to leave that out to most people in the church, we will be abnormal. And God is calling us to live a lifestyle. And that's what caused the anointing to flow upon Samuel's life. And many of us in this place are wanting to have influence in the world. And I've been hearing that, and to be honest, it's something that I've been praying to as well. To have influence, to impact the world for God and see things shift. But God is not going to give us influence if he knows the influence is going to end up destroying us. Listen, we're in the world, but not off the world. God has called us to change things in the atmosphere. We're called to be thermostats. We're called to shift things. We're not called to just, to just be wimpish and trying to hide our faith. No, 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 no. I believe in the power of declaration. And that's what God has called us to do. We're called to be thermo, thermo, thermostats, not thermometers that conform to the temperature. And this is the time for us to begin to shift things in the atmosphere and see things turn around. But it starts first and foremost with this lifestyle. God is calling us to separate ourselves from the things of the world. To consecrate, you have to separate. To separate does not mean you're, you're, you're in a corner, not talking to anyone, or you're not involved in anything. No, you're in the world, but not of the world. It's like a boat being on water. The boat remains on water until the water starts again to the boat, and then it sinks. And many of us in the church, it's hard to tell the difference between the Christians and the non-Christians because we're talking the same, we're listening to the same kind of music, we're doing the same kind of stuff, and there's no real demarcation between God's holy people and the people of the world. I'm not trying to say don't have non-Christian friends, but many of us have been more influenced by them than us influencing them. And we are called to shift things in this nation. Listen, we're not going to do anything if we just come here and have a nice worship set. What's going to shift and what's going to cause a revolution, which is what we want, is that each person in here baptized with the Spirit of God goes into their schools, their universities, their workplaces, and becomes an ambassador of God right there and begins to shift atmospheres. But listen, you cannot have authority over an enemy you've just been sleeping with. How can you shift the atmosphere here if the enemy has a hold in you? 
Jesus said that God of this world has come and he found nothing in me. And God is calling us as a generation to be a focused generation. At 13, at 14, with the porn and with the saturation of all the sex on the billboards, it's possible to be focused. Don't believe that. Listen, I don't believe the cross is a sin management program. I believe the cross, the cross is a sin eradication program. If he died on the cross to set us free, then we can be free indeed. What's the point declaring it and not living it? What's the point making an excuse for compromise? God is calling us to say, we can do this because he did it and by his grace. And by the way, grace is not the license to carry on in sin. Grace is God's empowerment on you, on you to live above sin. Grace is not God lowering the standard because of the culture. Grace is God empowering you through the cross to meet the standard. Because the standard under grace is higher than it is under the law. Under the law, if you commit adultery, you have to actually commit the act. Under grace, if you think about a bad thought about a woman or lots about man, you've committed adultery in your mind. That is under grace. Jesus said that, people. But what happens when we step into grace, the real grace, the true grace message, we receive empowerment from Jesus to fulfill the commands he asks us to do. Jesus does not ask us to do things that we can't do. If he's asked us to do it, it means there's grace to do it. Jesus said to Lazarus, come out. There was no faith for Lazarus to come out of the grave. Because Jesus said it, it means it's possible. If Jesus said, live holy, you're a holy generation, it means it's possible, people. I know darkness is increasing in the nation. I know things are going on and there's so much filth around, but it's possible in this generation to live a lifestyle that just shatters all that darkness. You know, it's like swimming against the tide. I use this illustration a lot, but it makes a lot of sense to me. If you're in a river and you're, and, and, and you're trying to swim against the tide, and the tide is coming down at, let's say, 30 miles an hour, and you're trying to swim against it, and you do nothing, by default, you get swept away. By default, listen to me, if you do nothing about your walk with God and just go to church, by default, your heart is going to grow cold and you'll backslide. Just do nothing. Just go to church and go to meetings. Nothing is going to happen. Even if you begin to swim against the tide at the same speed at which the tide is coming downstream, you know what happens? You remain in the same position. So actually, the force you need to exert against the darkness needs to be greater than the force at which is coming against you. My point is this, as darkness is increasing over this nation, it means God is raising up a revivalist generation that's passionate about holiness. More than the kingdom of darkness are passionate about darkness and filth. Many of us are ashamed about holiness and ashamed about the things of God. Even on our online Facebook, we hardly talk about things of God. It's always about what's going on in this place and that place and that place. And we're ashamed about the truth of the gospel that set the captives free. I'm not saying every status you set up has to be about Jesus did that, Jesus did that. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we're called to be people who will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. In the midst of the nation we're placing, we're called to have a passion that exceeds the passion of the world. I say this a lot. Listen, Islam is a culture of prayer. We're not going to overthrow a culture of prayer by having prayer meetings. We've got to have a prayer culture in the church because it's about which house of prayer is going to dominate. Believe it or not, the Islamic people, when they do their prayer, they're releasing things into the atmosphere. But we know we've got all the power in heaven and earth because of Jesus. But most of us sit down and do nothing, only pray for our needs. Pray for, you know, you know just me and my family and I. But forget about a nation that's dying. God has called you to be revivalist in this place. So here is something. The Spirit of God starts moving him. And one of the things that happens when the Spirit of God starts moving, it becomes familiar with the presence of God. 
You know, and that happens many times. We come to church, we become familiar with singing. We become familiar with these things we do. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I've sung that before. As opposed to realizing that when we lose honor and respect and reverence for the presence of God, we fall to tap into the fullness of what he has for us in that moment. So we can't just come into church or come into meetings like this with a heart that says, oh, I've been there before, I've done it. No, we have to come expectant because it allows God to meet us. And actually, expectation is a picture of faith. And God wants to meet his people who are expecting and knowing that he's got more to give them than, the, than they're currently experiencing. If you're, the, if you're in a place in God right now where you're satisfied, I tell you what, you're stuck and you're stunted. Because if you're really growing in God, the more you eat, the more hungry you get. And it's impossible to get to a place where you think you've, you know it all, you had enough. God is calling us to a new standard. Samson became familiar with the Spirit of God. And that's a trap we do not want to fall into. I want to go to this other verse. In uh, Judges 14, verse 8. It says, after a while, okay, this is, uh, for the context of this, Samuel has just killed a lion, okay? And in verse 8, it says, after a while, he returned to take her, this is the wife he just got, and he turned aside to see the body of the lion, and behold, a swan of bees and honey were in the body of the lion, and verse 9 of chapter 14, and then he scraped some of the honey out of his hand and went along eating it, and he came to his father and mother and gave them some, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the body of a lion. And uh, we start to see Samson begin to compromise in his in his calling and his life. The thing about compromise is it's very subtle. Compromise does not come to you in a big way. It's just little by little by little. You don't realize you're compromising. Actually, you do realize you're compromising, but you think it's not a big deal because the consequences are not great instantly. And I wonder what would happen if we saw the instant manifestations of our transgressions the moment we did it. I think that would actually bring us a lot more conviction and the fear of the Lord to not actually step into those transgressions. But sometimes, because of the subtle nature of compromise, we tend to ignore it and just think it's okay. Well, everyone is doing it, you know? I mean, everyone, everyone, you know, everyone makes out. Everyone, you know, everyone gets drunk, you know? And everyone, now and again, you know, that's okay, you know? Everyone does it. And then we begin to excuse the standard and begin to lower the standard according to the culture. As opposed to allowing the culture to be conformed to the standard and allow our lives to be conformed according to the standard of the cross. We begin to bring the cross down to our mindset and our culture. And that's the way of compromise. And Samson starts right here by in compromise. You see, he didn't tell his parents because I believe inside of him, somehow he knew what he was doing was wrong. Because the Nazareth vow, part of the Nazareth vow is that he is not meant to touch any dead thing. So here is Samuel. He's eating from a dead thing. He breaks the vow because he fails to understand the covenant is ongoing. Listen to this. Samson breaks the vow because he fails to understand that the covenant is ongoing. It's not your ability to, re uh, it's not your ability to relate to a past event. The covenant we have with God is an ongoing covenant. It's not your ability to relate to a past event. In other words, yes, I accepted Jesus yesterday. But the question is, am I accepting and receiving Jesus right now? It's an ongoing thing. Uh, 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 Samson failed to recognize the significance of the covenant that was on his life. 
And look at this. The enemy was not attacking Samson's power. The enemy, in other words, the devil was attacking Samson's consecration. Because he knew if he could get his consecration, he would in turn be able to get his power. And in a generation today, I find that the enemy is trying to stop us. It, well, the enemy does not mind if we have power. As long as we're living, the enemy does not mind if we have power. If we're living in compromise and living in sin. And it's very easy to come up on stage and do all these things and display your talents. But behind closed doors, only God and the kingdom of darkness and the, and the angels know what's actually going on. And if we're really going to see things shift in this culture, God is calling us to be a people of full integrity. That what, what, you, what people see is who you really are. And there's no behind the scenes, there's nothing different. You're accountable in your life. And in this place, we see that something starts to eat from a dead thing. And the enemy was beginning to gradually, in a, in a subtle way, begin to uh, erode his consecration. My question to you is, has the enemy eroded your consecration without you even knowing it? You know, I heard the, the story of, um, uh, and I think this is true, I don't know, those of you who do biology can tell me. Apparently, if you pull a frog in hot water, it jumps out right away, okay? You pull a frog in warm water and gradually turn up the heat. Apparently, the frog does not detect the change of temperature and dies. And it's actually a picture of how compromise kills us and kills our effectiveness and authority that God has called us to have. Because gradually, the heat is being turned up in this culture. What we're accepting as okay now on adverts, on TV, was not okay 50 years ago. But somehow, we've become desensitized to it because the heat has been turned up and we've just been accustomed to what's going on. But God is calling us to break away from that cycle and begin to see that we are called to greater things. And God wants to break off compromise from us here today. Now, another point is, Samson finds a sweet thing in a dead thing. My question to you is, what is the sweet thing you're eating from that's a dead thing? Am I making any sense? What is the dead thing that you're finding a sweet thing in? What is the music you're listening to that it sounds good to you, but the lyrics are from the pits of hell? And you're buying that music with your money and investing in the kingdom of darkness what is the movies you've been watching that actually is against what God wants you to do and is actually desensitizing you and you're finding a sweet thing and a dead thing? Because how does heaven see it? That's the question. How does heaven see what we do? Do we actually have an eternal perspective on what we're doing in our lives, in our relationships? I believe if we were really to have an eternal perspective, it would make a real difference on the decisions that we make. And God is calling us this time to begin to break away from these things. Another point I want to make is in Judges 15, 15, it said that Samson kills 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Again, another death thing. One compromise leads to another and leads to another and leads to another. But what's interesting about this is it's an amazing victory he had. He killed 1,000 people of the enemy. In fact, he even praised God after he did it. And I wonder if there's something in the fact that Samson is in this place, he's got victory, but the trophy of his victory is his broken compromise. So basically, it's almost like in the church, sometimes it could almost appear as though it doesn't matter how successful, you know, uh, uh, as long as you're successful, it doesn't matter if the trophy of your success is your broken compromise. So it's easy to gather a thousand or two thousand and we just want to see more numbers. But we can see more numbers and actually behind the scenes we don't have any authority. 
Because we're just gathering people. Listen, Michael Jackson could fill a stadium, and there are many other bands today that fill stadiums. It makes no difference. But the difference is when we fill a stadium, and we are broken away from compromise, and we pray in the authority God has given us, things shift in the realm of the Spirit. You see, that is why this session is important. Because I believe the picture the Lord gave me for this gathering is this session is about us, the afternoon session is about the city, and the, and the evening session is about the nation. And right here, God wants us to get our hearts right with Him. There's no point trying to pray for revival out there if right here we're agreeing with the darkness. It has to break off first, and we need to be free in ourselves. And then when we speak the Word of God, there's ultimate authority being released, and demons are trembling. It doesn't matter if you can shout or not. It's about the authenticity of the words you're speaking. When you say in the name of Jesus, it means you're standing in the character of Jesus and who he is. But many times we say in the name of Jesus and our character is not aligning with who he is. So our prayers don't have the authority. It's meant to have to shift things in the heavenlies. And God is wanting to shift that right here today. The last point I want to make is Samson loses his anointing. Most of us know this story. His compromise builds up, and it kept getting bigger. It slips with a halot, and then it goes to Delilah and all that stuff. Eventually, he loses his vision, and he's bound, and he's in the enemy's camp. I'm going to end on this note, because I believe God is speaking these words to us today. When Samuel was bound, he says, his hair began to grow again. The hair was a picture of his consecration. In the midst of being bound, he was rebuilding his consecration. His hair is a picture of his consecration. He regains his consecration while he was in bondage and had lost his vision. Listen, you may be feeling bound and feel like you've lost your vision, but today I believe you can experience a new consecration in the grace of God. You may be feeling bound. You may be, you may be feeling not totally set free. You may be feeling bound to all sorts of things, even if it's self-harm or whatever, things that you probably feel really ashamed of right now. I believe in this place, God wants to release grace for you to reconsecrate your life unto God and set yourself apart from the things of the world that defile you. Listen, you know what they are. As I'm speaking, things have been highlighted in your heart. Listen, I'm going to touch on this and I'm going to move on. I do not believe you have to date 100 people to find the person God has for you to marry. I'm not into this dating culture that is really just trying people out. Listen, what's the point of going out with someone if they're not the one God has for you? You waste their emotions, you waste your emotions. And then in the, in the long run, when you find the person God has for you, you're going to regret that relationship. And one of the big things the enemy is unleashing upon a generation is this whole thing about just going out with anyone you think is nice and is a nice Christian or whatever. No, have you prayed and sought God about it? Why do you want to waste your life? Why do you not waste yourself? And I'm calling you to a standard here. You don't have to date every single person that comes your way and says, I like you. And you don't have to go out with everyone that shows interest in you. God has got the right person for you. And why don't you wait and wait so that when you see that person, you can say to them, listen, I waited and this is me. This is all I have to give. Listen, I just got married and I understand how powerful it is to wait and have the one. I know that you don't have any baggage in your history. God is raising you up today and he's saying, do not conform to the system, even of most of the church. Raise your standard. Raise your standard, young people. Raise your standard. This is the time to do that because this is going to have an impact on the destiny God has for you. It's going to have an impact on what God wants to do through you in the future. It starts right here. I believe God is going to raise up voices in this place that will shake the nation. 
But you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like Evan Roberts. For 13 years, no one is going to know your name. But you're going to be diligent. You're going to be seeking. You're going to be praying. You're going to be going after God. And then one day, there's going to be an explosion. And you're going to be a politician in parliament. And you're going to speak the word of God and things are going to shift. Or you're going to be a nurse. Or you're going to be a teacher. And you're going to see things shift in your soul and revival break out. It, it has happened before. And it can happen again in our generation. And you know what's amazing? The Bible says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. So actually, even though it's happened before, what's going to happen in the days we're in is meant to be greater than what happened in the past. So our faith needs to rise. But first, our, our lives need to realign. Do you understand with me? God is calling us to realign our lives. And it starts right here with you and with me. You know, I don't, I don't believe God is looking for the multitudes in terms of, I don't think, I don't think God needs a thousand or two hundred thousand or five thousand or a hundred thousand people before he can shift things in a city. I believe he just needs a few people who would be consistent, fervent, live holy and seek him fervently. I believe those things are the key to seeing things shift. Obviously, as well as reaching out to the lost, that's going to be part of that. There's no way you can pray for the lost and not have a heart to really reach out to them. Recently, we found ourselves praying for schools and just spend a lot of time praying for schools. And guess what happened? God sends us into schools. As you pray for something, God gives you a heart for it and you reach out to that. And I believe God is wanting to call us to a place of realignment with heaven. We're going to pray prayers in this place today that I believe is going to dislodge principalities. It's going to happen. It says in the book of Acts, they were in one accord. They were in one mind. And right here in this place, before we can move on, we have to be in one accord. We have to break off the compromise. We have to all, all shift into the right mindset and see things begin to realign in our lives such that when we pray, there's a real, there's a real, there's a real clear conscience. Some of you have been worshiping and doing these things and your conscience has not been clear. And you've been feeling things from the past that you really you shouldn't be feeling. And God wants to break those things off of you and he wants to bring your life into realignment. Listen, glory follows order. And as you bring your life into realignment of God's order, the glory of God invades. I want those of you in front to take a few steps back. I'm going to give this time for people to respond. Just take a couple of steps back. And if you can, I want you to right now begin to pray in the spirit. And if you can do that, pray in the tongues. If you can't, just turn your heart towards the Lord. And begin to think about the things God's speaking to you about right now. We're going to sing a song in the moment about deliverer. Come set me free. Break every chain that's holding me. And we've been praying for this gathering and I know, I know God is going to turn things around for people in this place today. Maybe you've come here with years of addictions or depression or self-harming or porn addictions. I believe there's a grace in this place to see that chain broken and you coming into the fullness of what God has for you at this age.